just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. If you are taking notes, I hope you are. We are on lesson three, uh, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. It took faith for me to even type this as my title because no one could do the love of Jesus justice. No one could do the love of Jesus justice, certainly not this teacher. But with the Lord's help, maybe we will see the love of Jesus poured out in our own lives as we see the life of this woman that we studied about. Hopefully you were in your study this week. But when we come to John chapter four, and in this encounter with a Samaritan woman, a woman from Samaria, this is the only place where we see in Jesus' earthly public ministry that's recorded for us where he voluntarily re- reveals that he is the Messiah that he voluntarily reveals that. See, Samaritans were a group of people whose religious beliefs, they were all mixed up. If you go back in history, and we don't have time to do a full history lesson in here tonight, even though I love Bible history, but when King Solomon died, God split the kingdom, the nation of Israel, into two, the northern and southern kingdom. The Babylonians came in, then the Assyrians came in, and one conquered one one kingdom, the other conquered the others. Well, the Samaritans came from that mixing of the Assyrians with the Jews. And they began to try to mix in pagan worship along with other things, trying to mix the worldly beliefs with the pagan belief with the Christian beliefs and or the Bible beliefs, I should say, and it didn't mix, of course. And so the Samaritans begin to uh, grow and increase. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they have their own uh, city, their own location, and they are hated by the Jews. They were looked at as half-breeds, and they were hated. And in fact, in Jesus' day, during his time, the Jewish religious leaders, they would thank God every day for three things. Thank you, I was born a man and not a woman. Sorry, women. Thank you, I was born a Jew and not a Samaritan. And then lastly, thank you, I was born free and not a slave. So you could see their prejudice against the Samaritans. It was strong. A lot of it was a hatred for them, a hatred. And so when we pick up our reading in verses one through eight of John chapter four, it says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went away again in Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So when Jesus approaches this place, Samaria has, is known for a lot of history. A lot of history. So Jesus is going to encounter this woman. It tells us he had to pass through Samaria. And we're going to get to that little phrase in just a minute. But Samaria, if we go back in scriptures, we know that this same place, Samaria, it's the place where Abram first came when he arrived into Canaan. The first place. It's where God first appeared to him there and renewed the promise of giving the land to him. This is where Jacob came safely when he came back home and returned to his wives and he wrestled at the Jabbok River. This is where he built an altar to the Lord. This was the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. We just read that as John recorded for us. This is where the bones of Joseph were eventually buried when they carried him up from Egypt. This is the city, if you know the story of Elijah, this is the city where Elijah goes and presents himself to King Ahab and tells him it's not going to rain. And then when he comes back and reappears and tells him, okay, God's going to send the rain, and he has the standoff with the pagan um, prophets of Baal. So Samaria, and it's also where King Ahab built his main palace and where he stayed. In fact, when we were in Israel, and I'm thinking we have it on our, here we go. When we were in Israel, um, we were here. This is the ancient city of Samaria today, and it's up on a hillside. And so if you go down this hillside for several miles, we also went to Jacob's well. And Jacob's well now um, has, they've built a, a church over it and um, made it kind of into a place of worship and uh, reverence, uh, which is sad, but yet you're thankful that somebody preserved this well. And I can say when some of the other people in the sanctuary tonight that I've drank the water from Jacob's well and is still producing water. You know, the Samaritans believed that this was an eternal source of water and that it would never run out. So this was their belief, and they believed that Jacob, their spiritual father, gave them that well and gave them this piece of land. So when you go, this is where um, uh, the bottom left picture, this is where um, King Ahab's palace stood. The other above it is part of the uh, going into the temple area, the pagan temple. And then this is a, a, co a coliseum, outdoor theater. Then it's on the mountainside. And I got to track up to the very top of that, a few of us, uh, not too long ago that nobody goes back and it's in a, you follow a trail back there and they're not digging on this site. They're not digging on this site. And there was a man, and it's true to date, that had dug up coins from that era and was showing and selling those. And so it's neat to know that it does exist. They've dug this up. They see carvings of King Ahab, and that was all the way back to Elijah's day. And so we can know that this place had a lot of history. So when this woman comes down, all of the history in place, all the pagan beliefs tried to the worldliness mixed with what she did know about the Bible, Jesus comes to her with a lot of baggage and a lot of history. Aren't, aren't you glad that the Lord knows about our baggage? He knows about our history, but yet he still comes to us, which brings us to point number one. He pursues our waters. 
Jesus pursues our waters. And I had a little vase, a little uh, thing of water from Jacob's well. And in my haste to get out of the house, I forgot to bring it. I thought I would crack the wax and let everybody sip some of Jacob's water from his well tonight. But I forgot that little thing. But that water, that water that she was seeking, Jesus was pursuing, listen, her waters just as he pursues our waters. This is what we see the love of Jesus in action. He's pursuing our waters just like he was this woman because it tells us being wearied from his journey. And in the original text, it says, and in your King James, it said, thus being wearied from his journey. When they tried to translate this from the original Greek language into something that we could read in our own language, when they tried to translate it from the original language, it was very difficult and the, the description that is the picture or the description that's really given to us here because of this translation would be that it was excessive weariness. A weariness that you don't, you, you, you can't sleep off. It was a tiredness beyond what words could describe. And so Jesus was very weary and he was sitting by this well, and it was about the sixth hour, which would have been about in the middle of the day. It's not when you come and draw water. And in this moment of being tired, this moment of excessive weariness, any else, anyone else would say, oh, good grief, I can't believe somebody's coming to this well in the middle of the day. I'm tired. I don't feel like pouring out love and the things that this person I know needs. Have, if there was, if we're going to be honest, if there's some honest people in here tonight, how many times has that been you? When something good needed to take place, a service act needed to take place. Yes. So Jesus understands that. And this woman comes and Jesus is sitting by this well and he said to her, give me a drink. The word wearied right here, when it says he was wearied from his journey, let me give you the meaning here. Wearied means tired, exhausted, spent. Tired, exhausted, spent. You see, Samaria, we can know, tired, exhausted, spent, is that meaning? We can know that Jesus here, and it paints a beautiful picture. First of all, Jesus is in enemy territory. He's at a well of great controversy. It's in the middle of the afternoon, and he should not be speaking with this woman. And when it tells us that he had to pass through Samaria, and our guide in Israel, Sam, actually brought this phrase up, because this is the first time in my trips to Israel that I actually got to go to Samaria, ancient Samaria, and Jacob's well. And he brought this up, and I've studied this, of course, before, but I'm glad to know he was a Jewish guide. And he said, scripture tells us he had to pass. Well, when you look at had to pass, these three words, it means necessary. It means there is need of what is right and proper. Necessity brought on by circumstance or by the conduct of others toward us. That's a pretty um, plain statement right there. He had to pass. In other words, he had, to, he had to be brought. He was brought to this place because of circumstances or conducts of others toward him, toward God. It means necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. And I know that's a mouthful, but it's important that we understand. When it says he had to pass 
through Samaria, what the scriptures want us to know is it wasn't it wasn't something that was just kind of falling into place. And Jesus said, we got to stop here because I'm tired. Jews would pass around Samaria, taking them twice as long in their travels, in their routes. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They just didn't do it. And so it's not like Jesus said, okay, I'm so tired that we have to go and I'm going to sit down at this place by this well because I'm tired. He didn't go to this well because he was tired. He didn't go to this well because he was thirsty. He went to this well because there was another who was thirsty. Even though he was tired, even though he was weary. That's a slap yourself right there. Jesus didn't approach this well for anything that he needed. I mean, he's the living waters. We saw that this week. He could have commanded water to fall from the sky and had a drink, but he went to this well. He had to. It was a divine appointment. He wanted to reach his enemies. The Samaritans were his enemies by, you know, from Jew to Samaria, Jewish territory to Samaritan territory. He's an enemy territory. Jesus loved his enemy. He had to pass. And then he looks at her. She comes in the middle of the day. He knows she's coming in the middle of the day. He says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. In all the years I have, I have thought over this and I've thought over this and I've thought over this. Jesus asked her to give him a drink. And we're going to get to kind of maybe what I believe is part of the spiritual meaning. The word give here that he says in the original language, because remember when it's translated over, we miss a lot of meanings. The word give means to give something to someone of, of, of their own accord, to give it voluntarily, to bestow a gift, give to one asking, to let have, let, let me have, listen, the water. Let me have some water. It means to deliver or to give over to one's care. And I love this, this meaning. It means to entrust to one's keeping. To entrust to one's keeping. Give me a water. Give me some water. Entrust your water to me. Give it over to my care is what he's saying. This is the spiritual picture being painted for us. It's not about the physical waters of the well. And it took the woman a minute to get there with Jesus. It took a conversation, taking many routes to get to the understanding. He's not talking about physical waters. Jesus was never talking about physical waters, not in this conversation. Now he's weary, he's spent. And in the years of thinking on this, this is what struck me the most. He is an enemy to the Samaritans, listen, by just by reputation in general. They've been enemies for years. For years. She knows that. He knows that. So he's in enemy territory, but yet he asked this person, this Samaritan who hated Jews, Jews hated Samaritans, give me a drink. Do you know what Jesus, one of the pictures, and I want you to write this down, the nugget right here, Jesus is willing to drink from her ladle. Jesus is willing to drink from her ladle. He didn't have anything to draw with. You know the story, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. Jesus was willing to drink from her ladle. 
if you'll, if you'll reach down in there and, and listen, that well is deep as we keep reading in verse 10. He answered and, and said to her, because this woman, now listen, this woman, this woman is saying, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the sixth hour. It's in the middle of the day. And he says, give me a drink. And she looks at him and says, sir, you know, that, that water is deep. That water's deep and you don't have anything to draw with. How are you going to get that water? Sometimes we can think that our waters that we've been given to drink and sometimes our waters in life are bitter. They're bitter waters. And sometimes it's at the hands of others that give us those bitter waters. And then sometimes we create our own bitter waters. Maybe we try to blame other people for our bitter waters when we're the one that dug that well. We dug it, but we want to blame somebody else for it. Or we want to go over and try to get in somebody else's well. You see, Jesus was asking that woman, give me your water. Give me water. What are you willing to hand over to me? And so he says, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God in verse, if we keep reading and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said, how are you going to draw? That well is deep. And for those who went to Israel, it is a deep well. I mean, you have to hand crank that thing to go all the way to the bottom before you reach the water. It's a deep well. This, this well is very deep. The waters that you're asking me to give you come from a deep place. A deep place that how are you going to reach them? You don't have anything to draw with. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, she's thinking living water. I'm just coming to get water so I can go out and cook supper. I'm, I'm getting physical water so I can go wash the dishes or whatever it is that she needs water for for that day. But Jesus has always from point from the first minute, from point number one with her, He's talking about her need for living waters. He said, if you knew who was asking you to give me a drink, if you would have just asked him, he would have given you living waters. And so this is when she goes to say, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? I mean, I, I would be interested in that too. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst again, he's saying. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. There's a ministry... There's a ministry in Honduras started probably 50 years ago now. And they, by the Tysons, Bob and Joan Tyson. And when they went there, there was no water and they, the cows were dying and there was a drought in the land. And anytime it wouldn't rain, they were all in trouble. So Mr. Bob hired some laborers and he got out there with them and they began to dig where he just thought God had led them. And they dug and dug and dug and they couldn't hit water. And they said, we got to give up, Mr. Bob. We've gone very, we've gone so deep. No one's ever gone this deep. There's no water here to be had. And it's, it's, listen, and they're on a hillside. They're on a slope coming down. It's like they hit rock and everything else. They're saying there's no water here. And so Pastor Bob, he got alone with, with the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, so many more feet. And we'll just say it's 
five more feet, go five more feet. I, I forget the number. It says, five more feet. He said, okay, I'll go out there, but they're not going to like it, Lord. No, no, five more feet. So he had the men and they dug five more feet, no water. So Bob went to bed and he was, Pastor Bob went to bed. They'd given their lives and, they, and listen, and they died in ministry. They, they died giving their heart to Honduras. And so he went to bed that night and that next morning he heard shouting outside, shouting in the streets. And, and his wife, Joan, says, you got to come. There's a commotion outside. And they looked out and rolling down the, the, the road was just water was like a river pouring down the road. And he runs outside and he looks in the back and there's this big spout coming out of the ground. They had hit an artesian well. See where the dry land was, there's now a pond and that water source has not run dry. You see, Jesus is saying, I don't wanna give you just any well for your source, I want to give you something that's going to spring up within you and it's going to be never ending. It's going to be never ending. And so the woman says, sir, give me this water. I will not be thirsty nor come here all the way here to draw. So she's out how it's going to benefit her. So let me give you, this brings us to point number two. He not only pursues our waters, but he pursues our thirst. He pursues our thirst. What is it that you're thirsting for? So what was Jesus saying to this woman? The waters that you're drinking from will never satisfy you. The decisions you've made, the choices that you have endured from others, they will never satisfy. Your, 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 life, your life that you're living will never satisfy you. But the water that I have, if you'll drink of it, It'll be satisfied. Your life will be fulfilled. Let me give you a nugget right here because you say, Pam, how did this conversation, how did it really develop? And this is what we see here with Jesus. Your nugget right here. His was a love that lingered long enough to understand her waters. His love, the love of Jesus lingers long enough to understand, listen, her waters, but our waters. There not, may not be anybody in this world that understands the waters that you have been given to drink in life or that you have reached to drink yourself. And they've been bitter after a while. They might be sweet at first, but now you find yourself, many, many people find themselves unfulfilled, maybe angry, holding a lot of resentment, bitterness, thinking that they have to manipulate their future in some way to, so it's going to turn out good because they're control freaks. I don't know if there's any other control freaks in the sanctuary tonight other than the teacher. You know, the waters that we drink are the waters we've been given. They make a difference in us as adults. And Jesus lingered long enough with her to understand her waters. Oh, it's, it's easy to look at people and say, oh, he's just an angry man. She's just a bitter woman. She's prideful. She's a control freak. She's selfish. She's vain. He's arrogant. And it's easier. They're lazy. It's easy for us 
to just put labels on and not take the time to linger with somebody long enough to understand their waters. I don't want to slap a label on you. I don't want somebody to put a label on me just because maybe I'm in a hard season or I've made a bad decision or bad decisions. See, Jesus sat down long enough and he lingered with her to understand the waters. I want to understand the waters and that's what the love of Christ does. But we're so we're so in such a hurry today that we don't have time. I mean, when's the last time you saw neighbors talking at the fence post or hanging out with each other in the backyard? I mean, can you tell me what your neighbor's waters are? Can you tell me those on your street? Those in your neighborhood? Have we taken the time to understand somebody's waters? And are they trying to fulfill life? Are they trying to find their purpose in the wrong waters that will never satisfy, Jesus said. So he lingered long enough. And you see, for a religious leader, and, and you'll see this, we, we saw this in Israel. I've seen it every time I've gone. That when a, a Jewish, especially if they're a Jewish, a, a religious leader, Orthodox Jew, and this is how you know, you'll know by the long, you know, hair and, and the tassels and all of that, but you'll see them covering, covering their eyes if they're coming up to a crowd. They don't want to look on a woman, but if they had to pass through and, and any Samaritans, they, it would be sinful to even look. They, they, don't wanna, they don't even want to look at a Samaritan. And a man certainly doesn't want to look at a woman. So we've got Jesus in the middle of the afternoon, alone with a woman who is a Jewish rabbi teacher in the eyes of the people. And he's not only talking to a Samaritan woman, but he's asking her for a drink and they are in a casual but serious conversation. Jesus would have gotten in big trouble back then if he had belonged to a religious sect. So this was improper. This was scandalous. And I love that the love of Jesus sometimes is scandalous. Just like the day he told a little tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm going to go, I'm going to dine with you. Jesus didn't care. So let me give you a nugget right here. Jesus identified with her life before he ever identified her shortcomings. Jesus identified with her life before he ever identified her shortcomings. When Jesus said, give me a drink, he's wanting her waters, but in pursuing her thirst, he said, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living waters. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He's extending his cup. I would write this down if I were you. Jesus was offering her his cup. <coughs> he was offering her his cup. He said, Pam, what does that mean? Pardon me for those who are watching at home. I'm in need of water. Yes, holy water. Jesus was offering her his cup. 
Do you remember before Jesus goes to the cross? And we can read this in, in the Gospels, but we're going to look at Mark. Mark 14, 22 through 23, while they were eating. Now, this is the Last Supper. It's during the week of Passover. And he's celebrating the Passover meal with them. And he took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take it. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup, he given thanks. He gave, he gave his cup to them. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is being poured out for many. What Jesus is offering her is very symbolic for us. I'm offering you my cup. In other words, I'm offering you my cup of my blood that's going to be spilled for your sins. I'm offering up you forgiveness. I'm offering up you grace. I'm offering up to you mercy. I'm offering up to you a new life, a new identity. I'm offering you my cup. I'm asking you to give me water. I'm willing to drink your cup, but I'm offering up my cup. If we go to John 7, 37 through 39, it was on the last day of the great feast. Jesus stood up and he cries out very loudly. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to give you a nugget right here that I think if you'll grab hold of it, it will be life changing. Believing in Jesus is a cup exchange. Your waters for His. Believing in Jesus is a cup exchange. Your waters for His. Your waters for His. It's a cup exchange. When we believe in Jesus and we set our faith in Him as our Lord and Savior, it's why He started with, give me a drink. Let me drink from your cup. But if you would ask me, I'll also give you my cup and you can drink from my waters. And trust me, my waters are a lot better than your waters. Jesus got the short end of the deal there. But coming to Jesus is a cup exchange. But the problem is, no wonder she said, sir, give me this water. That was her response. No wonder that, that, that she wanted it, but no wonder coming to Jesus for us means surrender. You say, Pam, what are we to surrender? Our cup. All the stuff that we've been putting and drinking in, in our cup. And we don't want to give over our cup because then somebody might know the real us. Somebody might know all our junk. If I give my cup to Jesus, then that means I've got to take his cup and now I've got to live dependent on him. I represent him. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. Because, you know, as, if we give our cups up, we can't get sympathy. Well, that hurt, Pam. I know. It doesn't it? I can't, I can't control you know, my, my situation, the outcome, if I give him my cup, I'll have to release it over to him and I don't know what he's going to do with it. But you know, as long as I've got this cup, I can be poor pitiful me. 
and I can use it for a determined outcome. So when he tells her this, he's asking for a life, it's a life-changing request that Jesus is wanting to, to answer here. Because when she said, sir, give me this water, so I won't be thirsty, nor have to labor all this way. And it's downhill, it's a downhill slope from the well back up to the city of Samaria, where she would have had to trek carrying that water. There's labor involved. It's a hard life, and I don't want to be thirsty. So when, when she says, give me this water, I want to lay out this, this picture for you quickly. The word give here, when she says, give me this water. I want it, she says. The word give, it means here to add It means in addition to what I already have. In addition to what I already have. So, Lord, give me this water. The word give here in her language then was meaning add to what I already have. No, no, no. Doesn't work that way. Lord, I'm going to keep my water, but I want yours too. So give me your add to my water. Do you see what she's saying? That's why you got to go back to the original language. Just add to what I've already got. Can't you just add to what I've already got and that way I can still keep this? Well, let's look at what Jesus said to her. How does he respond? In verse 16, and you think it makes no sense. Go call your husband and come here. It's like, oh, he's personal now. Because in, listen, in her waters, thank you, Deb, for this illustration. In her waters that she's been drinking, Jesus goes on to say, the woman says, I don't have any husband. He says, you've answered correctly. You've had five. And I don't think they all died. I don't think she was widowed five times. You know what I'm saying? And he said, and now you're living with a man. And I'm sure if the air could have been sucked out of Samaria, her gas probably would have done it. (gasps) He knows what my waters hold. Listen, he knows I've had five husbands. He knows I'm living with a man. I'm living in sin. And by the way, in Jesus' eyes, that is a sin. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't judge her for it. He didn't condemn her for it. He didn't say, you evil, wicked Samaritan. I knew y'all were no good. I love that her name is not here on these pages. But he said, even though you've done all these things and you're an outcast in society, I still want you to, I want you to give me your waters. It doesn't work that way. What he's saying to her is call your sin forward, which is point number three tonight. We'll start winding down. He pursues our confession. You see, he wanted, he knew what was in her waters, but he needed her to confess it. She immediately says to him, I'm perceiving that you're a prophet. I I perceive you're, you're kind of a prophet. It would have been better for her to perceive she was a sinner. That's what Jesus wanted her to see. I want you to come to know that you're a sinner. 
You see, we can't receive the living waters of Jesus and not be willing to surrender our own. Jesus was asking her, call your sin forward. Call your husband. That word call right here means to address by name. To call forward. You mean I've got to bring my sin into the light in front of you and say, yes, I, this is the woman that I am. This is the man that I am. Yes. He already knows it. Because see, if we could just hang on to our waters and take his, we would never have to, we would never have to make these waters right. We would never have to take accountability or ownership of them. And no one would ever have to know. But he says, I'm going to need you to give me that. It could be filled with guilt or shame, regret, wickedness, sinfulness, lust, abuse, neglect, anger, fear, rejection, selfishness. Whatever it is, Jesus said, I need you to give that all to me because I have this great exchange. And these waters, they're living waters. They won't ever bring your sin up to you again. They won't shame you. They won't try to guilt you. They won't mislead you. They won't leave you empty. These waters might satisfy a little bit, but you're going to be thirsty again tomorrow. You're never going to be satisfied. And I don't care what's in your pail, what you've been drawing and what you've been drinking from. I don't care how many men you've been with or men, I don't care how many women you've been with, the Lord would say, give that that past to me. Give those bitter, earthly, worldly waters to me because I've got living waters to give you. See, but what we like to do is we like to get waters of shame by people. I know what's in her water. I know what, you know, she's not deserving of living waters. I mean, she's had five husbands. Now she's living with a man. I can imagine the talk in town wasn't good, especially in that era, that time. But he said, I need you to call your sin forward because you see Jesus addressed her waters. He addressed the well. Let me give you a nugget right here. Our time goes so quickly. The love of Jesus loves us enough to address our waters. The love of Jesus loves us enough to address our waters. We're living in a very sensitive age where we don't want to say the word sin. Some years ago, uh, sinners, a sinner or a lost person was changed to seekers um, or let's make it a seeker-friendly church. And we begin to change the terminology of sin. We begin to kind of sugarcoat things so it would be, you know, easier to, to handle. And we don't like to confront sin. Now, I'm not saying we stand on the street corner and holler, you big sinner, to everybody. I'm not saying that. But love and truth go together. Ephesians 4 teaches us that. We're to speak the truth with one another in love. You can't divorce love from truth or truth from love and represent God. And so Jesus loved her enough to confront her sin. Listen, he never called her a harlot. He never called her any, he never put any labels on her. I love how he handled, call your husband forward. 
He asked the question. He made a request in such a way that the confession would be brought by her. That's wisdom in that. Such wisdom. And in that moment, she comes to realize, you know what? I need these living waters. I've been with all these men. I've been with all these men. And I don't know what to do. So what does she do? She diverts the conversation. And I'm going to put up point number four and we'll read the scriptures and then we'll begin to close. He pursues our worship. He pursues our worship. And that's what he's after. Because she, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Verse 19, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. But you people, you people, she's calling Jesus, you people, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And he said, woman, believe me, an hour is coming that you won't worship on this mountain in Jerusalem or will you worship, will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know, he said. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, meaning Jesus was coming from the Jews. And then he goes on down in verse 25 or 24, and he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. She's starting a light starting to come on. And he looks at her plainly. And like I said, this is the first time that he voluntarily reveals he is the Messiah. He said, I who speak to you am he. See, he pursues our worship. You know, worship, our last nugget for tonight. Worship is not a place. It is a person. Worship is not a place. It's never been about a place. It's always been about a person. It's always been about a person. And I love that in this conversation, if you, you know the story, if you did your Bible study, this woman leaves her, leaves her pot. She leaves her pot. Now her pot's empty. All of a sudden she doesn't need the waters of the world anymore. And this, this sinful, rejected woman outcast, goes into the city and tells them about Jesus. And because of her, a whole city is one to Christ. Now, she didn't have to go get baptized, go through a discipleship class, go to a new members class, be accepted into the, into, you know, the, the temple for worship. She didn't even have to go home and make her boyfriend or her move out. You say, Pam... I can't believe you're teaching that, but it's truth. She went straight to share what Jesus had told her. Her faith was immediately put into practice. It was immediately put into practice. You see, she left her empty water pot, but listen, she went out full. She went out full. She went out full. I see people on a daily basis, so does our staff. And every person coming in the door, whatever their need is, the answer is always the same. The answer to their need is always the same. We need to drink in Jesus. Now the route to get Jesus to them 
to get them to drink in Jesus. And you say, Pam, what does drinking in Jesus mean? It means to believe in Him, to place your faith in Him. And I wonder, I wonder tonight several things, because I've asked myself this. If I were coming down in the middle of the day and I had whatever my problems were, if, if it were you, and you sat at a well, and Jesus was there, and he asked you, would you give me your water? What would you respond to him? Is there anything that you haven't turned over? Maybe it's a wayward child or wayward grandchild for us who are older. That's the season I'm in. Maybe it's a a regret. Maybe it's the guilt and shame of a decision you made. Maybe it's a decision you have to make now and you've been in rebellion to make the right one. Maybe it's that you have refused to accept the forgiveness that Jesus gives you for a sinful past. You may not be like this woman. I've had five marriages, lost marriages. But whatever it is, what would those waters be that maybe you, you know, I I want you to give me waters, but I I don't want to give you mine. I've done that many times. I've tried to bargain with the Lord. But whatever those waters are this hour, I would know this, that sometimes he goes a little bit deeper and he has to hit rock bottom before that spring comes up. And when that spring does come up, like in Honduras so long ago, it will pour out into the city streets and it will change lives. It will change lives. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless you.